This is Bias Bender, and I'm Kayla Stokes. Welcome to the next episode of this podcast where we're exploring the lives of Black women from the past and the present in order to imagine the future. This week we are hopping the pond to talk about Olive Morris. So right off the bat, I learned something I didn't know this week. And that nugget of knowledge launched me into who we are talking about in this episode. Did you know that October is Black History Month in the UK? I sure didn't. I kind of thought that everyone who celebrated it dealt with only having 28 or 29 days dedicated to the month. But across the pond, they have a full 31 days of Black History Month. (laughs) Of course, Every month and week and day is Black History time on this podcast, but that's beside the point. So first off, I thought I'd give you some background into why Black History Month is in October in the UK, and then we can go from there. Black History Month has been celebrated in the UK since 1987, which, let's be honest, it's not that long ago. Nonetheless, it was catalyzed by a man named Akiaba Adai Sebo. It sounds like he had a conversation with a colleague of his in which his colleague revealed that their child asked why they couldn't be white. So Adai Sebo worked to launch the first government-acknowledged celebration of Black history for the month of October. I was definitely wondering why October was chosen as the month, seeing as here in the U.S. we celebrate Black History Month in February, mainly because of the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, I think. It turns out that October is the chosen month in the UK because it coincides with many African nations' harvest traditions, and it's also early on in the UK school year when children are maybe more excited to learn about things in general. Honestly, that makes sense. I remember still being pretty motivated to soak it all up in October. There are split opinions on Black History Month in the UK, just like there are in the US. Some people are incredibly critical of this seemingly vague celebration of blackness in the UK. They see it as a weak handout to black citizens that could be more appreciated if it were delivered in the form of free transportation or a tax break for black folks. I get that perspective for sure. It can feel shallow to have a month of history celebration handed to you when the rest of the year is centered around whiteness. In one article I read, a nameless British writer says that the month seems more like white supremacy month because they feel as though the celebration focuses on the achievements of black people that are everyday occurrences for white Brits. But there are plenty of others who are dedicated to upholding Black History Month as an important addition to life in the UK. For example, Stephen Bourne, a historian specializing in black culture, defends the month by saying, Without Black History Month, British schools and academies will not be presented with opportunities to learn about the history of black people in Britain. Black Britons are not officially included in the history curriculum. Our young are more likely to learn about African Americans from history. Black History Month offers opportunities for grassroots community historians like myself to offer an alternative black history, one that relates to this country, and enables us to showcase our work. This realist look into the state of education in the UK makes a lot of sense to me. The month is almost necessary for black history to be remembered in the UK. And, of course, there are still other folks who fall somewhere in between resentment and optimism for the month. 
These arguments honestly don't feel so foreign to me. I've oscillated between loving and feeling less than great about Black History Month in the U.S. as well. I felt like it can be a shallow attempt at recognizing Black people as being human, but I also know how important it is to purposefully set aside time to celebrate Black people specifically. So, I get it. Regardless of how people feel about the month, I am curious to see how it goes for the UK this year. Just as there has been a racial reckoning of sorts in the US, there has also been plenty of action across the pond following the murder of George Floyd. It can be easy to assume that the US is the country with the biggest racial fire, but clearly the UK has some work to do too. I wonder what this month will be like, and if it will feel more or less significant than the Black History Months of the past. Okay, so that's pretty much the rundown on Black History Month in the UK. I'm sure I missed some of the ins and outs just because being Black in the UK must be different from being Black in the US. Not that Blackness is anywhere close to a monolith in either places, but you know what I mean. So, I want to cautiously celebrate Black History Month right now. I know that it may not be a perfect model for uplifting and actively helping Black folks in any country, but I do love any excuse to share stories about Black people, specifically women, but if you know anything about this podcast, you already know that. This week, we are going to talk about a woman who I didn't know about until this week, to be honest. I had never heard the name Olive Morris before. But now, it's a name that will continue to be associated with power and drive whenever I think about it. And I'm excited to share her story with you so that you can know about her too. Olive Elaine Morris was born on June 26, 1952 in St. Catherine, Jamaica. Her parents were named Vincent Nathaniel Morris and Doris Mosley. Vincent and Doris moved to the UK when she was young and left her and her siblings back in Jamaica to be raised by their grandmother for a while as they got their bearings in a new country. Eventually, Olive moved to live with her parents when she was nine years old. So around 1961, she and her brother Basil settled in with their parents in London. How cute are those names? <laughs> Once she was there, she attended a few schools, including Tulse Hills Secondary School, but she ended up leaving before graduating when she was 16. I'm not super familiar with the general school system in the UK, but I do know it's a bit different from the state, so I know that she was pretty close to graduation age, but not quite there yet. However, my research does show that she did end up enrolling in the London College of Printing to continue her education. So, that little intro gives you a sense into her childhood, but I don't think it actually gives you a sense of who she was as a young person. It appears that Olive was a firecracker. She came into this world on fire with righteousness in her heart. I'm not sure if there was a key catalyst for her passions, but I do know that she experienced more than her fair share of racial profiling and racism in general while growing up in London. And I think that's a plenty good reason to want equality. Alright, so imagine being a young black teenage girl in London. You're walking down the street, probably just minding your own business on your way to hang out with your friends. The year is 1969, so you're headed to the record store to meet up. 
As you approach the store, you see a lot of commotion. It's not the normal rowdy kids having fun on the sidewalk that you might be used to. There are a bunch of police, and folks look upset. You see a friend of yours who lets you know that the police have brutalized and arrested a Nigerian diplomat for trying to steal a car, when in fact, he was just trying to get into his own car. The young folks are pissed off that this would happen right outside their favorite record store, and they are letting the police know they aren't happy. As the police continue to harass and brutalize your friends, what do you do? Do you turn around and head back home? Do you watch as your friends are taunted and beaten senseless for standing up for what they believe in? Or do you approach the situation head on? When Olive was faced with the situation, she did not walk away or even simply watch. At 17 years old, at around 5 feet and 2 inches tall, Olive got right in the middle of the confrontation and attempted to physically block the London police officers from arresting anyone else. Yeah, so when I said she wasn't messing around when it came to actively pursuing justice, I meant it. Olive's intervention came at a price. She was beaten, fined, detained, and threatened with sexual assault for sticking up for this diplomat who was just trying to get into his own car after purchasing some records from the record store. Olive didn't let this abuse deter her from continuing her activism. In fact, she used her experiences to expose the racism, sexism, and overall lack of empathy of the London police force. There's even a picture of Olive from this time in which her face is clearly in rough shape and her clothes are all torn up. The back of the photograph reads, Leaving King's College Hospital After Police Assault, 15th of November, 1969. This incident makes me think back to all the times I've seen police interacting with folks in New York City. I haven't spent enough time in London to know what it's like to watch police interactions there, but I think there is a parallel to draw to a place like New York City. I've been on the same street as black people have been approached by police, and it has always scared me. Because of what I know happens all too often to black people when they're confronted by law enforcement. I remember slowing down to bear witness a few times, just in case anything unlawful were to happen to the person being approached. But... Luckily, I've never had to personally see someone being brutalized by the police as I was walking down the street. I wonder what I would do, especially if it were to happen when I was a teenager. I honestly don't think I would have been brave enough to jump in the middle of a struggle like that. But that is what I think makes Olive so special. In this action, she showcased the ultimate selflessness. She could have watched or walked away as a man was being beaten, but she didn't. She was loud. She was big. And even after the incident was over, she didn't allow for anyone to ignore what happened. Following this incident, Olive Morris joined the British Black Panther Party to be a part of the Black Panther Youth League. While this group was inspired by the Black Panther Party over in the US, they were their own group and worked towards equality specifically within the UK systems. In 1973, Olive formed the Brixton Black Women's Group, which was meant to be a place just for the black women in the Black Panther movement. Another aspect of activism that Olive was a part of was the Squatters Campaign of the 1970s. 
She opened the 121 Railton Road squat in 1973 with Liz Obie. She's even on the cover of the squatter's handbook, scaling the wall of a house. Apparently, she was incredibly creative and turned squatting into almost an art form, according to those who were close to her and her efforts during the 70s. She believed that everyone deserved a place to be safe and find comfort, and that is just what she fought for. In 1975, Olive enrolled in Manchester University in order to go earn her social science degree. While there, she joined the National Coordinating Committee of Overseas Students, and she was able to travel quite a bit through their programs. One place she went to was China, where she wrote an article called A Sister's Visit to China for the Brixton Black Women's Group newsletter, Speak Out. In her article, she explored ideals that she saw in China that were Marxist and communist in nature. So yeah, Olive was pretty radical, but she was clearly searching for answers to the problems she faced as a black woman in a country that wasn't providing her very much protection at all. She believed in communism as a way to provide every citizen with equal resources. When Olive returned from China, she went on to complete her degree and returned to Brixton. And of course, she kept on working. She became one of the founding members of the Organization for Women of African and Asian Descent, and she edited the organization's magazine, which was called Fawad. I think Olive did a lot of work for being such a young woman. And maybe the reason she sprinted through life was because some part of her knew that she wouldn't have a ton of time to get everything done. On a trip to Spain in 1978, Olive became ill. When she returned to London, she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She received treatment, but ultimately passed away the following year at the age of 27. Okay, I know that I'm sharing the stories of two women who passed away very young back-to-back, but I really wanted to share Olive's story with you. I'm inspired by her vivacious nature and her unwavering moral obligations. She stuck up for what she believed in from the moment she could until the end of her life. She refused to be silent in a society that would probably have preferred her to push things under the rug for the sake of appearances. And to me, that is one of the bravest things a person can do. I know that I will definitely need to continue working towards that same kind of bravery in my own life. It can be incredibly difficult to speak up when people around you are pressuring you to suffer in silence. While I don't know what it's like to grow up as a black woman in the UK, especially in the 70s, Olive's story lets me know that there's no way it could have been a walk in the park. Alright, so that is my story in honor of the UK's Black History Month. I know that Olive is by no means the only black British woman to be a change maker, but I'm glad she's the first woman from the UK we're learning about together on this podcast. She most definitely defies the stereotype that British women are all prim and proper. (laughs) She was caring and loving, but she was also unapologetically active and bold. She makes me want to learn even more about Black history in the UK, and I'm sure we'll have plenty more women to chat about from across the pond in the future. In fact, if you have any suggestions for women I should look into, as always, I'm all ears. You can email me at biasbender at gmail.com or reach out via the Biasbender Instagram or Facebook pages, which are both at Biasbender. 
This week, I'm glad we could begin to scratch the surface of Black women across the world. Black women are moving things forward and living their lives all over this globe, and I can't wait to keep learning more. Thank you so much for listening. following sources to research this week's episode. Blackhistorymonth.org.uk RT.com's article, Black History Month Reflects Britain's Confusion About Itself. It Should Be Called White Supremacy Month Instead. By Nirpal Dhaliwal. History Extra's article, Black History Month, What It Is, Historians on Its Relevance, Plus Six Articles You Should Read. By Kev Lochin. University of Birmingham's article about Black History Month. BBC's article, Google Doodle, Who Was Olive Morris? Black History Month, The Power of Olive Morris, by Dr. Angelina Osborne. Blackpast.org's article, Olive Elaine Morris, by Virgio Hunter. Finding Olive Morris in the Archive, Reflections on the Remembering Olive Collective and Community History, by Tanisha C. Ford. Emma Alati's article on Olive Elaine Morris from the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography. And as always, original music 